so glad you've joined us on the ERLC podcast to explore how the Bible addresses important cultural issues pertaining to life, religious liberty, marriage and family, and human dignity, and how we can walk in wisdom for God's glory and for the flourishing of our neighbors. If you're enjoying this podcast and find it helpful, please leave a review wherever you listen. This will help more people find and benefit from what we're learning together. We are grateful for the time you take to join us for these conversations. Welcome to the Digital Public Square, a podcast from the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission about ethics, theology, and philosophy in today's society. I'm your host, Jason Thacker, and I serve as Chair of Research and Technology Ethics and also help lead the ERLC Research Institute. Each week, I'm joined by some of society's most influential thinkers, writers, and leaders to talk about the important ideas shaping our society today, as well as some of the top issues of life in the digital public square. Our goal with this podcast is to equip you to navigate these issues with biblical wisdom and insight. As always, alongside this podcast, we also have the Weekly Tech newsletter that you can sign up to receive each Monday morning. This resource is designed to prepare you to think deeply about the pressing ethical issues of technology, as well as life in the digital public square. You can subscribe now at jasonthacker.com slash weeklytech. In today's episode, I'm joined by my ERLC colleague, Chelsea Soblick, who serves as our Director of Public Policy in Washington, D.C., Today, we talk about the ERLC's new public policy agenda for 2022 and how to engage government officials at both the state and the federal level. Chelsea has worked on Capitol Hill on pro-life policy, domestic and international religious freedom, adoption, foster care issues, and a number of different roles prior to coming to the ERLC. She's been published in the Wall Street Journal, USA Today, The Gospel Coalition, Christianity Today, and many others. She's also the author of Longing for Motherhood, Holding on to Hope in the Midst of Childlessness, and a forthcoming book on women and work. She has a BA in International Relations from Liberty University and lives in Washington, D.C. with her husband, Michael. And now let's join our conversation. Well, Chelsea, thank you so much for joining us today on the Digital Public Square. As we get started, can you tell us a little bit about your work and kind of what started you out on this path of engaging public policy and working in Washington? Well, Jason, thank you so much for having me. This is so much fun to get to put our heads together and uh, kind of do a a cross episode. Um, We have our show, Capital Conversations, here in Washington. But yeah, I have worked in uh, public policy in some form or fashion for about a decade here in Washington, D.C. As you said in my bio, I actually studied foreign policy with the intent of taking that degree overseas. But Long story short, the Lord redirected my steps to Washington, D.C., and I had the opportunity to work on Capitol Hill. I worked in the U.S. House of Representatives for a number of years, and it was during that time that the Lord really gave me a vision for how and why public policy, uh, good public policy is so important and how it's such an excellent way to love our neighbor. You know, there are three uh, God-ordained institutions and government is one of those institutions. And so it makes sense that we should be involved in helping, you know, craft good policy or help stave off harmful policy. So it was truly an act of the Lord. I, I did not plan on my career looking the way it has, but the Lord has other plans, and I'm so thankful. You know, the types of work I've been able to do in Washington 
I didn't even know these jobs existed when I was young in my career. And so it's been really neat to see how the Lord has guided and directed every single step. Well, know that you're a gift to our organization. And I say that on behalf of not only our staff, but also uh, others outside the organization. We very much look up to you and are thankful for the work that you're doing in D.C., especially in the midst of a long season for us as an organization. 2020 and 2021 were long years for all of us. Um, but especially here at the RLC, we had a leadership transition this past year, but we continued our work um, in research efforts, especially in public policy efforts, especially through your work um, and the work there at the Leland House in Washington, D.C. So can you tell us a little bit about the D.C. presence of the RLC, what we do and what we're focused on? Absolutely. So our job here in Washington, so like all of our sister SBC entities, we're headquartered in Nashville, but we have a DC office and a DC presence because we represent the interests of Southern Baptists before the courts, before Congress, and before the administration. So our, our work falls into you know four main buckets, which I think we'll get into here in a bit. But my job is to represent the 15 million Southern Baptists on the issues that they have told us they care about. And all of our work is directed by the SVC resolutions that pass every single year. So um, I work for the convention. I, I work for Southern Baptists and, and congregations throughout the United States. You know, you mentioned that we have been in a season of transition. Last year, we did have a leadership uh, transition, um, and we had some staff transition as well. And in the midst of that transition with some change, what hasn't changed is our ministry directive to continue representing the interests of Southern Baptists here in Washington. And, and we've continued to do that. I've I stayed on staff. I've continued to advocate before Congress, the courts and the administration on behalf of Southern Baptists. Yeah, I know, and as especially as you mentioned a lot of leadership transition, I know you have been thankful to welcome Hannah Daniels to our team um, there in D.C. to be able to help you out and staff up the D.C. office, especially in the midst of this transition. Well, I think that obviously there are a lot of things swirling around in the public square right now. There's a lot of conversation about various issues, especially in the midst of 2022. I think is if you just think of 2022, we already think of COVID, we think of this variant, we think of this kind of ongoing pandemic that we've been in, massive inflation, supply chain issues, and a number of consequential court decisions that have happened and are going to take place this year, on top of the regular public policy priorities that we've been focusing on. So what are the, some of the things, if you step back from some of the specifics of these issues, what are some of the bigger things that you and your role and your vantage point in Washington would say, as Christians are thinking about the public square today, what are some of the things that we should be thinking about and the ways we should be thinking about, especially given the uncertainty? certainties of the moment. Yeah, and I will throw one more uh, kind of thing about 2022. It is midterm election year. So that will obviously shape the makeup of what Congress looks like. And the window of opportunity for legislation to pass will likely be more narrow this year than last year. Um, and we will likely see a new makeup of Congress at the end of this year. So like you said, a lot of uncertainty. I, th I think a couple of things to think about and to be aware of, you know, there are issues that we work on here at the ERLC that that we know with the current makeup, we likely won't see much movement in Congress. But, you know, one thing I always stress um, when talking about public policy is, you know, federal public policy is extraordinarily important. It's what I do professionally. But state and local um, 
politics and policy matters. And, you know, people, listeners can get involved um, at a state and local level. And so if people are looking at you know, everything you listed out and feel discouraged or feel like, you know, they can't affect change or you have to come to Washington to affect change, that is absolutely not the case at all. So much happens at a state and local level. So I would really encourage listeners, you know, if they want to get involved in advocacy, certainly uh, build relationships with your local member of Congress and their staff, but also build relationships with your your state senators and representatives and your governor's office and, and get involved locally because it really does have a pretty big, pretty big impact. And I think there's something to be said too about there's a lot happening at a national level and at a global level. And we certainly need to be involved in speaking into those issues. But also there's something very powerful about affecting change locally in, in your proximity as well. Yeah, and I think one of the things that it reminds me of is just the value, especially of one of the blessings of being a Southern Baptist is even not only at the federal level in terms of like the national entities that we have, but even our state level entities, whether it's state conventions or local associations, often they're doing a lot of really important work, especially at the state level and at the local level. And so I say not all listeners are Southern Baptist uh, to the podcast, but those who are, get involved in your state commissions, get involved in your local associations, especially because a lot of states have some type of ERLC-like organization that's working specifically on state issues as well. Um, So there's a lot of information you can find out about that through your state conventions, through your local associations, but obviously through our work here at the ERLC as well. Um, as we hope to advocate and educate and equip the local church on all levels, whether it's from local all the way up to the federal and even international level. Well, for those who may not be overly familiar with our D.C. presence, I think some automatically, when they think of the ERLC, think of D.C., and they don't realize we have a Nashville office. Uh, Others who think of the ERLC don't even understand that we're in D.C. itself, that we have a row home uh, very close to the U.S. Capitol. Can you help us to understand, and you hinted at this earlier, but some of the ways that we organize our priorities and some of the buckets or kind of priorities that we focus on as the ERLC and kind of those big categories? Sure. So our our work is structured in four main buckets, issues of religious liberty, not surprisingly, as our, our name suggests. Um, And we engage um, both on domestic religious liberty issues and international religious liberty issues, issues of human dignity. Um, So a lot of our kind of traditional, what you might think of your traditional pro-life work will fit into here, but, but there's also work that fits into here, such as advocating on behalf of, during COVID, we advocated on behalf of you know, hunger insecurity and working towards policies that would would alleviate um, that. We also work on issues of marriage and family, a lot of work on adoption and foster care policies, which is very near and dear to my heart. And then uh, last is justice issues. So we've done quite a bit on immigration work and on behalf of uh, criminal justice reform. And that, that work certainly continues. And then the last, uh, or, or there's one more bucket, if you will, and that is international engagement. Um, I mentioned earlier that we have worked on uh, international religious liberty, and we've done some international 
human dignity work as well. Um, And this is actually where we saw a lot of success in 2021. In our June meeting, the Southern Baptist Convention was the first denomination, not even the first Protestant denomination, the first denomination to pass a resolution rightly calling what's happening to the Uyghur people in China a, a genocide. We have advocated for over a year for the passage of a bill called the Uyghur Forced Labor Prevention Act, which seeks to prevent, as the title suggests, products and goods made with forced labor from entering into the U.S. market. And at the tail end of 2021, the bill was passed and signed into law. So that work will continue. Um, you know, in February, the, the Olympics begin and they're hosted by Beijing, which is a genocidal regime. And so there's there's continued work to do to highlight the plight of persecuted people, both in China and, and around the world. So that is a long answer to a short question of, of how our work is structured. Well, and I think it's really helpful, too, because a lot of listeners may be familiar more with our technology ethics work, or even more specifically, just our research area, which is the kind of team that I lead up at the But to see how these things intersect with one another and how they align. And that's one of the big things that we promote here at the ERLC is that if you go to our website right now, you're going to see these four buckets or these four sections of content that align with the public policy priorities that we have in Washington. And very similar with our research aims is trying to research and go deep on religious liberty issues, on justice issues, on marriage and sexuality, as well as human dignity and pro-life issues, because this is really the core of what we do. And then as listeners are familiar, especially on this podcast, when we talk a lot about technology, technology isn't then a separate bucket or a separate set of issues per se. It's actually just an element of all of these, whether it's on the international front uh, or whether it's on the biblical justice or issues of human dignity and pro-life or marriage and sexuality and religious liberty is that technology is an element of all of these various uh, conversations and all of these various elements of research as well. Jason, one thing to add on on our work and how it's structured, I think it's really important to note that all of our work is not only based off of the resolutions that the Southern Baptist Convention passes, but all of our work, each issue that we work on, which we just released our uh, 2022 public policy agenda, each one of those issues is based in scripture. And there are certain issues um, like the issue of immigration, that issue kind of spans multiple buckets of our work, but there are issues where we can draw um, a very clear line from um, the Word of God to this is our policy, our public policy. So kind of a very clear example of that would be abortion. Scripture is explicitly clear that life begins at conception and every life has innate dignity and worth. And then there are other issues like immigration, where scripture does not tell us what our immigration public policy should be. Um, So we can't draw a clear line from scripture to our immigration policy. So those types of issues will stay, you know, pretty high level because we cannot speak to those issues in great depth. But scripture does tell us how we should speak about our neighbor, how we should think about our immigrant neighbor, and how we should care for the vulnerable and poor. Um, So I just wanted to note that all of our work is based in scripture, but each issue is evaluated on its own. And, you know, we are very careful and thoughtful for how we approach that work. 
Yeah, and that that really speaks, I think, to the relationship between our two teams as well. Um, is our goal on the research front is to dig deep onto these issues and see what kind of literature's out there, see how others are talking about and shaping these issues, as well as our our policy team there, led by you, um, is focusing on well, okay, what does this look like then at the public policy, at the federal, at the state, and at the uh, court level, as well as uh, interaction with the administration. As you mentioned, and you referenced just a second ago, uh, just this past week, you and our acting president, Brent Leatherwood, released our annual public policy agenda. Um, So can you tell us a little bit more about what this agenda is? I think when most people look at it, it's like a 16-page PDF. They're like, oh, that's kind of overwhelming. There's a lot there. What are some of the important areas and how is it structured before we dive into some of the specific issues? Sure. So it is a long document. It is a about 16 pages. It's basically a blueprint for our work this year and kind of a sketch of what we anticipate to be working on and coming down the pike. Now, when we created our 2020 agenda, we had no clue that we were about to enter you know, a global pandemic and all of our work would be completely upended. Um, but this is kind of our best guess in those four buckets and in our international work of where we'll be headed. So it is not exhaustive, even though it's quite long, it's not exhaustive because certainly there will be things that come up. Already in January, the Supreme Court heard uh, emergency oral arguments for the administration's uh, vaccine mandates, and they've already issued opinions on that. So already, you know, things have come up that are quick and you, you know, you need to respond quickly. So this is kind of our best guess of, of where we're headed this year. Yeah, and that's kind of the nature of politics in many ways, is that things just change so rapidly. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Certain things go so slow and will take years and years and years, and other things are incredibly quick and kind of um, not spur of the moment by any means, but definitely quick. And so that's one of the things that I appreciate about the whole organization is that we can be quick on our toes, but we can also plan ahead and see kind of what we think is coming down the pike. So in in light of the public policy agenda, to dig in a little bit, obviously we could spend an entire episode on maybe – each of the policy priorities, as well as each of the specific issues, like very specific acts or or laws that we're hoping to see passed or uh, different types of advocacy work that we're going to be doing. So give us like the super, super high level. So in a couple of minutes, like what are a couple of the bigger issues I think that you would say we're focused on this year and maybe one or two that you would, that might surprise listeners. Um, something you're like, oh, I didn't realize they were working on that or I didn't realize that was something we needed to focus on uh, to kind of show kind of both ends of the spectrum, the most important and kind of the most prominent issues as well as maybe some that are operating behind the scenes. Ooh, that's a good question. So I'll tackle the, the big things first and then answer the second part of your question. Um, so at the end of last year, the Supreme Court heard oral arguments in a case entitled Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization. And this case is the most important life case that the court has heard in a generation. So we expect a decision in this case, um, likely in June. The court typically releases the more animated opinions at the end of the term. And we, in our in our brief, asked the court to overturn the disastrous precedent set in Roe and Casey. And so we are preparing for that decision and making sure that uh, churches and congregations are ready and equipped for that. So if the court does what we have asked it to, um, abortion will not cease overnight. It will go back to the states and become a state issue. So we are you know, making sure that we it's a, a holistic approach, that we're working not only to make abortion 
illegal, but also unnecessary and unthinkable. Um, so that's a that's a huge one. I think another really big one in the the religious liberty space is opposing the Equality Act. It passed the House in the first session of the 117th Congress. We're in the second session. You know, I don't anticipate that it will come up before the Senate in this Congress. But one of the things that, you know, kind of two two things on, on this point, while the bill itself will not likely be brought to the, the Senate floor, SOGI, sexual orientation and gender identity language, is inserted in all different types of bills. So we're combing through a lot of different bills and, and pointing out that harmful language to, to our colleagues on the Hill. And, and thankfully, we have some folks who are um, monitoring that on the Hill and, and able to push back against that. And also administrative action that tries to instill the uh, SOGI policy through executive Orders. So I think that's one thing that, uh, you know, we're continuing to work on that issue and it's, it's really important. And I think you're exactly right, especially with a lot of the advocacy and the work that we've done opposing the Equality Act over this last year. It's something that we can't forsake our work on that just because we don't believe that the Equality Act itself might go up for a vote. As you said, it's it, the language is embedded in a lot of it, executive orders or administrative policies. We even saw that as of just last year with uh, the Biden administration's national gender strategy. And while that might sound kind of outside of the ordinary, or maybe listeners haven't been familiar with that, we'll link to an explainer that I did on urlc.com. This is something that is a a priority of this administration, and it's something that we're going to start to see the language worked into a lot of different areas, because as we've kind of alluded to a lot of times in here, public policy and uh, these type of ethics in the public square in many ways aren't always segmented out into just various buckets. They're interrelated. So an immigration issue is not only immigration and justice issue, but it's also a human dignity and pro-life issue. And there may be marriage and sexuality components, and then it operates on the international stage. And so while we talk about things separated out into these buckets or these different areas or policy priorities, know that this work kind of bleeds into one another and it overlaps with one another. And so I think that's a helpful way to talk about a lot of the, the work that we do while it is at times complex. It's also very straightforward as we're thinking through the ways that the biblical priorities and the Christian ethic applies to all of these really controversial decisions or these controversial acts or votes that we see there in Washington, D.C., but also really across the world. You're exactly right, Jason. Um, and I'm, I'm really glad that you you highlighted that note. So you talk about a couple of the bigger issues that we're focused on. Um, What are some that might be operating under the radar behind the scenes a little bit that maybe people don't totally realize are big issues or things that we would be focusing on, but nevertheless, consistently applying the Christian ethic means that we're also going to address these other issues in the public square? Yeah, so there are three that I will try to briefly highlight. One is a bill called the Adoptee Citizenship Act. And prior to the year 2000, any international adoption, the adoptee was not automatically a U.S. citizen. They had to be naturalized. Um, But there was a bill passed that basically said once an adoption is legal and finalized, that person would have full U.S. citizenship. However, that bill excluded anyone who was 18 or older at the time of the bill's passage. So there's an entire population of people who were lawfully and legally brought to the U.S. and adopted, but don't have their full U.S. citizenship. So we're working on a bill that would seek to go back and close that loophole and grant that population their U.S. citizenship. And it's a little bit, you know, under the radar. 
But it matters to these people who have spent their entire lives in the U.S. and, you know, can't access, you know, social security or can't get a passport and and travel or things like that. And then two more um, briefly is advocating for a robust uh, refugee resettlement program and the implementation of that. I think, you know, one thing that has continued to stay with me, I think, like a lot of people, is the, the situation in Afghanistan in August of 2021 and just the images and the people fleeing that country. I want to make sure that we are advocating for refugees and for f- people fleeing persecution, whether it's in Afghanistan or you know Uyghurs fleeing China. I want to make sure that we are continuing to be a voice for those people. And then last but not least is um, just continued work on uh, criminal justice reform. The ERLC was very involved in uh, the First Step Act, which passed at the end of 2018. Um, But there's a number of other bills. um, They're listed in the policy agenda that we're advocating for that would continue the work of of the First Step Act. You know, these bills are multiple steps in helping uh, formerly incarcerated individuals. One of the ways that we serve Southern Baptists, especially and represent Southern Baptists, is also not just domestically, but also internationally. Well, that's one of the elements of our work is international human rights, international religious freedom. And one of the things that I find really encouraging about the work that we do at the ERLC is that while international issues are central to kind of our portfolio and our agenda, is that we have this kind of special status in the ways that we interact on the international stage. I want to ask you a little bit about that because I don't think a lot of listeners may know about that. And that's actually something that's really uh, interesting and something that's an honor for us as the URLC to be able to have. Absolutely. So we have what is called special consultative status at the United Nations. And that allows us to go. Uh, my, I have some colleagues who have gone to Geneva and had meetings on behalf of the ERLC and Southern Baptists on issues of, of human rights and international religious freedom issues. One of the things that that uh, status allows us to do is we're able to engage in what's called the universal periodic review process. So um, every year, um, a certain set of countries, each each country goes through this process, but countries are brought up and able to be evaluated by other countries on their human rights records. So we are able to write and submit these universal periodic reviews, um, reports, um, and submit them to the United Nations and and highlight um, countries that might not have the best human rights and religious freedom track records. So it's a really important status for us to have. It's, It's, like you said, a lot of organizations don't have it. Um, and so we, we really do try to make use of it. Another thing that we're able to do with that status is reserve uh, space at the United Nations. And then we're able to, to host events as well. Um, unfortunately, events right now in a global pandemic are largely virtual, but we do have that ability as well. Yeah. Well, I want to shift gears a little bit as we end the podcast to talk a little bit about you as an author and you as a writer. So obviously you had your first book talking about uh, childlessness and the hope of motherhood, longing for motherhood, kind of written out of your own story. But you also have a new book that you're working on that's focused on women and work. 
And so I wanted to ask you, we normally end the podcast saying, hey, what are a couple of books that people should dig into if they want to dig into this ideas or this work a little bit more? And we'll obviously link to the public policy agenda for folks and some of the issues that we've talked about in the show notes. But what are maybe one or two books that you've been reading or that you've been using as you write this new book on women and work uh, that would help us to think about this really important topic? I have read so many books on the topic of work, and it's it's been a really sweet time. You know, when I started writing this book, I'm still in the process of writing it. I did not know we were going to have a really big leadership transition. So it's been a really neat time to be reading a lot of books on work. The The best one I've read is Tim Keller's book, Every Good Endeavor. It's fantastic um, on the topic of work. And then another book that actually has been very, very helpful, actually two more, I'll, I'll say two more. Um, A book called The Common Rule by Justin Early. He writes about habits and rhythms and a rule of life. And he does it from the perspective. What I found so helpful is he's an attorney in Richmond. He has lived overseas. His prescription to hurry and busy and overwork is not go live on a mountain (laughs) in a monastery. You know, he offers some really practical ways that you can structure your life to lead a full life with work, but also, um, you know, continue to practice the presence of God throughout the day. So I, I found that book really helpful. And then the the last one, to me, these touch on work because they help me think about putting work in its proper place. I'm an Enneagram 3 and work can easily take over too much of my life. Um, but the last book I'll note is the uh, Ruthless Elim- Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Comer. That one's been really helpful uh, to me as well. And just thinking through, you know, the proper place of work in our our lives. And um, I think a lot of people in D.C. struggle with uh, work being enlarged in their lives. And so I, as I'm writing this book, I, I, I love work and I, I see the value of it and, and scripture does as well. But making sure that it's in its proper place. So those are three three quick ones. Well, know that we're really looking forward to that and just really grateful for your work and your leadership in our Washington, D.C. office. And I just want to thank you, Chelsea, for taking the time out of your busy schedule to join us today on the Digital Public Square. Thank you so much. Well, from all of us here at the Digital Public Square, I want to say thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this conversation, would you consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, your favorite podcasting app? These reviews really help us to know how we're doing and also to share the word about the podcast with others. As a reminder, you can connect with Chelsea and learn more about our work at the ERLC in the show notes, including a link to our newly released public policy agenda. Also, make sure to sign up to receive the Weekly Tech email briefing that comes out each Monday morning. This resource is designed to prepare you to think deeply about the pressing ethical issues of technology today, as well as some of the latest technology news. You can subscribe at jasonthacker.com slash weeklytech. The Digital Public Square is an audio production of Owens Productions. It's produced by Jason Thacker and production assistance provided by Cameron Hayner. It's edited and mixed by Mark Owens. Thank you, and I hope you have a great week. Mm-hmm.